Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 27 through 30. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened, and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, Don't tell anyone about this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're starting each message as part of this series with just a little bit of Jeopardy. And so our category this morning is Helping Hands. And our clue is, this miracle worker was the teacher and lifelong friend of Helen Keller. And Helen Keller was born this day in 1880. Does anybody know the answer? Who is Ann Sullivan? That is absolutely correct. We don't have any cash prizes to award you, but you get bragging rights for knowing Jeopardy today. Well done. So Ann Sullivan was this remarkable teacher and friend for Helen Keller. Ann was born absolutely destitute. She was born to a deeply impoverished family, and she lost much of her sight at a young age because where she was raised was absolute squalor. The filthy conditions probably caused her to catch the infection that caused her to lose a great deal of her eyesight. Also at a young age, her mother passed away. Her father abandoned Anne and her brother. And so they were forced to live in this place called an almshouse. And it was overcrowded. There were all sorts of problems with this place. Her brother actually passed away shortly after they arrived at this almshouse, within a, a few days. And then there were reports during an inspection that people in the almshouse had actually resorted to cannibalism while they were staying there. It was a horrifying terrible situation. But Anne, during the inspection, jumped in front of the inspector and said, I want to go to school. And so she was referred to this place called Perkins School for the Blind. She was looked down upon because she was basically raised with no manners or any sense of propriety, and she was very self-conscious about that. But even still, because of her intelligence and her self-determination, she was graduated as valedictorian of that Perkins School. And at the age of 20, as a recent graduate, she went on to teach Helen Keller with a kind of compassion that didn't allow Helen to be anything less than all that she might be in this life. It was Mark Twain who first referred to Anne as a miracle worker, even though Anne considered herself a lapsed Catholic who had renounced her faith. But people rightly saw who she was and what she had done and what she had helped Helen to do, and recognize that as nothing short of miraculous. Was it a miracle in the religious sense? Probably not. But it's an incredible story of a love that doesn't disdain those who have been cast aside by so many others. 
That's part of what we experience in today's Bible story. To get us up to speed a little bit, Jesus had just raised from the dead the daughter of a man named Jairus. And his miracle mystery tour was continuing, and the more Jesus did, the more people would talk about what he was doing, the more people would come to linger along with him just to find out what was going to happen next. Some would quietly wait in the wings to watch and see what was going on. Others, like the men in today's story, will shout for Jesus' attention. And there were so many needs, so many people surrounding Jesus that unless you raised a ruckus, the chances of being recognized, the chance to catch Jesus' attention would probably be a little slim. And in this story, in the reality of the situation of these men, these men wouldn't know that they had Jesus' attention until they fully had his attention. And that takes us to our first lesson this morning. We may not hear the important question if we're not following. We may not hear the important question if we're not following. Verse 27, after Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. These men were following Jesus. They were blind men, probably not blessed with a lot of help in trying to navigate that pathway, and they took the risk to follow Jesus because they believed that their risky journey would be worth it. They couldn't see the pathway. They didn't know how far they would have to go to connect with Jesus. They only knew that Jesus was coming by and that he had the power that they needed to gain their sight. They probably didn't have a lot of time to think about their response. They just had a desperate need and the kind of faith that would follow. What does it look like to have that kind of faith? The story is about those who literally had low or no vision, but that's not the only application here. In our needs, whatever they may be, we can't always see the pathway that God has set before us. We don't know how far it will take us. But despite all that, do we have the kind of faith that simply follows Jesus because we heard his voice? Because we know that he holds the power that we need to be restored, healed, forgiven, made whole. Or do we get frozen sometimes in the analysis paralysis? We might think, will following Jesus more closely affect how people look at me, the way people see me? Will a stronger commitment to following Jesus mess up the other stuff that I really care about in my life? I like my place. I like my freedom and the certainty that I have in my life. Things are pretty consistent, and even when things are rough, I might prefer the difficulties I know better than stepping into the unknown. Maybe my needs aren't so bad. Sure, I've got crippling grief, but who doesn't? Of course I like things to be under my control, but who doesn't like things to be under their control? I definitely prefer life the way it is, and when I try to imagine something better, I think of what it might cost me. I mean, what if all this fails? What if Jesus doesn't come through? I'll look like an idiot, or like I'm weak, and then what will I do? Here's what we do. We lean on Jesus together. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could be safely cuddled up to our sorrows and our brokenness. He didn't go around confronting death and demons so we'd be stuck hanging out with them. And he didn't command us to go so we could just stay. What if following more closely 
was the way that we could hear Jesus' important questions for us. What if that next step of trust, even through uncertainty, is exactly what it takes for Jesus to help us see more clearly? What if that's what it takes to get our lives unstuck? Our second lesson this morning, faith is ready when opportunity comes. Faith is ready when opportunity comes. Verse 28, they went right into the house where Jesus was staying, and he asked them, do you believe I am able to make you see? Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Do you ever go somewhere and hope someone will ask a question of you just because you're bursting with the answer and you're really not wanting to, to lead? You just want somebody to ask so you can tell? Like, if you walk into a situation, you've got a, a little bit of a tan, and somebody says, did you just go on vacation? Do you have any pictures? And you already had your phone out. You were ready to show. Or maybe somebody says, I just made a pie. Do you want some dessert? Or somebody sees you and they say, you're looking good. Have you lost some weight? And I notice, sadly, the last two don't necessarily always go together. So these men followed Jesus, hoping that he would see their condition and notice them. He didn't ask if they wanted to be able to see. He asked, do you believe I am able to make you see? The question wasn't about what they wanted. In another instance, when somebody was waiting for healing, Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? But not in this case. This is a different situation. These men were motivated, but he didn't ask about their desires. Instead, he asked about what they believed Jesus is able to do, what he could do. And they were ready with their answer. They didn't huddle up and start thinking about how they might word their response well, we heard you've done some cool stuff before, and even though we haven't seen it for ourselves, because after all, we are blind, we were pretty sure that it's legit, and if it's not too much trouble, we were wondering if you could at least try. They didn't go through all that. They just said, yes, we do. Yes. They simply believed that Jesus was able, and they were ready to tell him as much at the first opportunity. The same faith that hopped right up to follow Jesus was also ready when Jesus asked them about their faith. They were ready. They were ready to trust. They were ready to have their eyes opened to a new reality and let their world be completely different from what it was before. They would no longer be blind followers. They would be followers. They would have a chance to see for themselves, see who this Messiah is that brings with him life and healing and see the whole world in new ways. Are we ready? If Jesus comes to us asking if we believe he is able, are we prepared to go all in for him? It won't help to wait until we're in this situation. We get to determine in our hearts in this moment that we'll trust Jesus, that we'll respond when he invites, that we'll do what he calls us to do, and that we'll trust that the future is in his hands or we'll determine in our hearts that we don't trust him, that we won't do what he asks, and that we'll hold that sense of control of the future for ourselves. Think about what Noah from the Old Testament was asked to do when he was called to build an ark and fill it with a specific count of animals for the preservation of species, for food, and for sacrifice. There probably wasn't a cloud in the sky when God asked him to begin this construction project. 
He didn't wait until the rain started falling because by then it would have been too late. See, faith doesn't wait for rain to begin building a boat. Faith doesn't wait for the rain to begin building a boat. It's why this congregation years ago made a difficult choice to move from a landlocked downtown multiple-level location to come to a space out on this side of town that is accessible. It's one of the reasons why we once again have nursery workers ready to take care of young children every Sunday without taking reservations in anticipation that we'll have little ones joining us in this time of worship. It's why our musicians rehearse before Sunday morning in the expectation that people People are going to come and lift our voices together in praise. It's why we do countless things to prepare for what we cannot yet see in hope that God will do in his faithfulness what God alone can do. But we do our part. It's why I wake up every day, why I get cleaned up and dressed and keep on living. It's because I believe that God has purpose for this day, just as God had glorious purpose for yesterday, and I trust that God will have purpose in tomorrow. It's not maybe a big or grand gesture, but maybe those small and consistent acts of faithfulness that build up over time, whatever it may be, we stay ready for the opportunities that God has set before us. Our third lesson this morning. Jesus' question gave them a chance for joy. Jesus' question gave them a chance for joy. In verse 29, Then Jesus touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. Their eyes were opened and they could see. And Jesus sternly warned them, Don't tell anyone about this. And then I love verse 31, But instead they went out and spread his fame all over the region. That's fun. Here Jesus credits the healing faith to these blind men, that their faith was what caused them to receive this gift of healing. Their eyes were opened through faith in Jesus. And I've seen it happen. I've seen Jesus heal people who otherwise would have been written off as a lost cause. I've seen Jesus restore folks from physical troubles beyond the explanation of medicine. I've heard doctors explain to their own surprise that that unexpected slim chance of recovery just happened to come through in this case. I'm grateful for what I see as God's intervention in the health and restoration of people who have cried out to God in prayer, who have a community of people who gathered around them in prayer. I believe these things are absolutely gifts from God, but I also know it's tricky. Because I know that there are some people of great faith who get sick and remain sick. The cure for every trouble, illness, and injury isn't simply just have more faith. Faith is a powerful source of strength because through it, we get to trust in and develop a relationship with the very God of life. But faith also means knowing that God is still the one who calls the shots. And the brokenness of this fallen world still introduces pain and disease and death in ways that are oftentimes more than our hearts can bear. See, we have to be able to trust God no matter the outcome. And that's a tall order. I remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel. When they were about to be tossed into a a fiery furnace because of their faithfulness to God, they said something that sticks with me in trusting outcomes to God. Daniel chapter 3, they're telling their king, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He is able. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. These 
faithful servants of Yahweh, the God of Israel, understood that their God is still God. And other idols made of metal or stone or wood or best wishes were not God. These man-made idols will never possess the power to save now or for eternity. They trusted the true, healing, saving, and liberating God made known to us through Jesus Christ to do that. And similarly, these blind men were calling after Jesus with that same kind of faith. They considered their state, understood their need, and discovered that they had nothing to lose and everything to gain by trusting, by following. And if Jesus didn't heal them, they'd be stranded a little bit further down the road, and that's not great. But they didn't prepare themselves for that possibility. Jesus did heal them. We seek God through our trials to be sure. And there's also a part that came after. We have to make sure to remember to praise God when God does come through. Here's the fun thing that takes place now and then through the Gospels. Once Jesus heals someone or does something miraculous, he often tells people to keep quiet and not tell other people what he's done. Have you noticed that when you're reading through the Gospels, Jesus will say, now don't tell anybody what I have done for you. He's trying to keep his miraculous power on the down low, even though people will seek him out whenever he comes to town, specifically because his fame and notoriety has been spread all throughout the region. Still, he tells everyone to keep quiet, but what's the first thing that everybody does? They go off and blab about it. They go off and tell people about it. Jesus never seems to get angry about that, though. When people are so filled with joy because their lives are restored and they can't help but share the good news of what Jesus has done for them, now it would be great if people did what Jesus told them to do. I mean, that is part of trusting faith. However, Jesus didn't seem to have his plans thrown off when people went and shared the good news about what he is able to do. Has Jesus called you into a deeper joy? Has he called you to a deeper peace or a place of surrender or love? Has he invited you into healing or reconciliation or forgiveness? Has he opened your eyes in any way? Would Jesus get upset if he told someone about what he did, what he's able to do? I've not seen Jesus get angry at somebody for sharing good news, not even once. So go ahead and share your joy, because it might just open more eyes when you do. Let's pray together. Loving God, we are grateful that you are able to do far more than we could ever ask for, hope, or imagine. And so, Lord, help us to be ready when we hear your voice, ready to follow when we hear your calling on our lives to be ready to up and, and go along with you. Lord, to have the kind of faith that is ready to respond. Do we believe you can? Do we believe that you are able? Yes, Lord, we do. And God, when we find that you have been faithful, when we find that you've been gracious, when your love has overwhelmed us, help us to not hold it back. Lord, you are not calling us to be silent. You're not calling us to keep it to ourselves. You're not so busy that your good news can overwhelm you. Lord, help us to share that joy so that others might see and know the goodness that we've experienced because you are so filled with grace and love. 
We offer this with grateful hearts in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.